All right, let's gather back together. As we gather together, let us uh, get a couple of our ushers to uh, gather the offering for this evening. I uh, want to tell you at least one story. We've, um, a- as we come into January 1st, 2014, uh, we are on our own. Uh, we are getting no support from our conference uh, or our parent congregation, Roscoe, this year, uh, which is a scary place to be, especially here where some of the things we're relying on to, to kind of help and happen, uh, those aren't um, facilitating yes. Oh, yes, we, we can dismiss the children. I was going to um, wait a second, but that's fine. Uh, transition the young people. Yeah, no, I, I probably did. Yeah, it's been a while. So uh, any young people, K through fifth grade, who would like to uh, accompany Miss Whitney, we have a uh, experienced tailored to them so they don't have to listen to me talk about marriage and, and sex. And I'm just throwing it out. That's what we're talking about for the next six weeks. So um, parents may want to take that into consideration as well. Nothing too graphic, I promise. Now, what was I saying? Yes, um, coming into the new year, uh, we are facing um, a, some interesting challenges. But I want to uh, affirm at least one great God moment this week. I walked into my office and on my desk, uh, there was two checks for a total of $1,500 from two individuals outside of our congregation as end-of-year gifts to New Life. Um, to put that in perspective, that's about 1%, maybe 1.5% of our budget, but uh, a wonderful gift and a wonderful affirmation that as we continue to do what we feel God is calling us to do, uh, God continues to bless us. Yes, it'd be nice if those checks were a million dollars, but in my experience, it's never, uh, it's never more than we need. It's always what we need. Uh, and so uh, I think that's going to help us get through this month, uh, and, and then we uh, just thank God for that. So I thank you all, of course, uh, for your gifts and your giving and your stewardship. Uh, continue to realize we do need them all, um, but uh, God is also blessing us, and so I want to share that uh, with us as well. Uh, a couple things, um, bowling um, will probably be the, fir- the 19th of January, Sunday, January 19th, uh, so you can mark that on your calendars. Um, we'll call Viking Lanes and get that scheduled January 19th. Um, the reason I say that is because tomorrow, our regularly scheduled planning team meeting, uh, <coughs> excuse me, we will cancel that, so we will not meet tomorrow night. Um, because of the minus, m- oh, sorry, tomorrow is, is Sunday. Monday night when we have planning team, um, thank you, uh, we will not meet. The temperatures are supposed to be in the negative uh, 25s, uh, plus we meet at night. So um, we will plan not to meet. Uh, I, I've been talking to my friend Corey from North Dakota, um, and they're expecting negative 50. So could be worse. I mean, it's bad enough just to live in North Dakota. But then to add negative 50 degree weather makes it even, I mean, it's an awful place. I don't know if you've ever, ever been there, but there's not a lot to do in North Dakota besides stare at nothing all day. It's pretty boring. But when you're freezing to death, you, you know, just enjoy life while you can. So let's have a word of prayer. <laughs> That's, woo. Um, yes, back on track. Yes, <laughs> back on track. I know, 
back on track. Let's have a word of prayer as we uh, begin our time together. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to gather together. We uh, just want to be with all of those who could not make it because of the weather. Uh, We just ask that you be with them and help them feel part of our community this week. Uh, Be with all of us, wherever we are, that we may come together, experience your word, and hear what it has to say to us. We pray this in your holy name. Amen. So for the next six weeks, we will be using a resource by Adam Hamilton called Love to Stay. This is his second book on marriage and relationships. Uh, It's an excellent resource. I encourage you, um, if you are married or in a relationship or would like to be, or even if you are a single person, um, there's a lot of great stuff in here for you. A wonderful book to get it. You can get it at cokesbury.com. You can get it at amazon.com. You can get it for Kindle or any e-reader. Wonderful resource. We'll be talking about it on Saturday night and then also Wednesday night at form. So what is this series about? Well, it's about marriage. Over the years, many pastors like myself have sat in a room with um, a young couple and asked them the following question. Why do you want to get married? And the majority of those young couples responded with because we're in love that's tag team nice assist because we're in love that's usually followed with a slight uh, head tilt maybe um, a a reach for each other's hands and uh, a lovingly yet somewhat nauseating gaze that young married Young to-be-married people generally have. But if that was truly enough, if as um, the great uh, poets and theologians, the Beatles once said, all you need is love, why do so many marriages fail? Well, my father, a retired pastor, used to respond to young people (laughs) in his loving but harsh way, love is not enough. Not for a successful marriage. There must be something more. So over the next six weeks, we're going to look at what Christian marriage truly is, what happens over the course of a lifetime of marriage, and how we can get love to stay in our marriages and in any relationship. So before we dig into the mission and vision of Christian marriages, which is what we're going to focus on today, I need to make one uh, disclaimer Uh, My intention for teaching this series is not to show that Christian marriage is between uh, one man and one woman. I've taught extensively on the issue of homosexuality. If you're interested in what I have to say on that or what the Bible has to say on that, you can look under our website at Christian or Mythbusters. One of those series addressed that really well, I believe. I'm not going to focus on that this series. So I just want to make that clear. But I do want to say this. I believe that those often politicians who stand up and say the definition of marriage is one man and one woman, and sometimes they add um, for the purpose of having and raising children. I do not believe that that is a Christian or biblical definition. I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm saying I believe the Bible and Christianity and Jesus had a lot more to say about marriage and relationships 
than that very narrow definition. I believe that there is something in terms of a meaning and a mission and even a vision for what Christian marriage is in Scripture, and that is what I want to focus on. All of that being said, I am going to focus on marriages between men and women because that is where my experience is. And I do believe that there's something unique and wonderful about that relationship. But I also believe that what we're talking about through the course of this series can be applied to a myriad of relationships, and I hope that those who are single among us will get something encouraging and affirming about uh, love and relationships as well. So that's the disclaimer. So why a series on Christian marriage? If, <laughs> if we really had to talk or ask that question, but I'm asking it, so we're going to talk about it. Why are we focusing on Christian marriage for six weeks? Well, believe it or not, the divorce rate in America is not at its peak. I know some of us always think like 2014 is going to be the worst year ever. It's not at its peak. Divorce was highest in 1980, but in the 80s. But it is still between 40 and 50% of all marriages end in divorce. Now, if you add second and third marriages, that gets exponentially higher, 65%, 75%, 80% of third and fourth marriages. So that, that's still a problem. Now, what's changed is the number of people getting married. In 1960, 72% of all Americans uh, over the age of 18 were married. This has dropped in 2011 to 51%. In that time, the average age of the first marriage has risen from 22.8 years and 20.3 years to 28.7 and 26.5 years for men and women, respectively. On top of that, more and more young people are living together instead of getting married. And we have research on that now that says 50% of those relationships end in the first five years of couples living together but not married. 50% of those end in the first five years. So the face of marriage has changed a little, but the problems are still the same. Whether we are married or living together, there are many issues that make our relationships difficult. That's why we need to address this topic uh, as a church, as Christians, and as people to who look to disciple others in our forwarding ministry. So I hope um, that this series will help strengthen our marriages, uh, help strengthen all those who are married. I hope it will lay a foundation down for those who hope to get married or who will get married in the future. I hope it will encourage us all in every relationship we have, married or single. And I hope that this will allow us all to be able to witness truly to what Christian marriage is as we disciple, as we witness, as we share the gospel. Because there are things, if you actually open the book, that are good to hear, and sometimes it gets lost. So for those of you who don't know, I have a confession to make. I watch Grey's Anatomy. It's a TV show. So there's some of you are looking at me like, what's that? Okay. Statistically, someone else here watches it. Okay. Yes, okay, thank you. Thank you, thank you, yes, okay. So a few are, are true enough to admit. Now, I watch Grey's Anatomy because I love my wife. 
I love my wife so much, in fact, that over the eight seasons of Grey's Anatomy, I have actually grown to care about the characters in the television show. That is the kind of love that I have for the woman who I'm married to. Now, two of those characters, the main characters, Meredith and Derek, at one point in the show, they get married. This is important. This is good. I didn't use Daniel Tiger or whatever kids show we're watching right now. At one point, they get married. And if anyone here who has watched the show can tell me, how do they seal their marriage? They write their vows on what? On a post-it note. And Meredith says something to the effect of, our marriage is about more than a piece of paper. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. What is marriage? And is it more than a piece of paper? A lot of people in our world feel, like Meredith did, that marriage has become just about a contract, a legal government binding agreement. And a lot of young people say, well, we don't need that to prove our love. Even, even many young people have come to the point where they say, it's, it's more romantic and more authentic if we don't get that, and that if we have to choose every day to live with one another, which is cute if you're 20 and a hipster. And, you know, God bless them. But marriage is, truthfully, a lot more than a contract, a lot more than a piece of paper. The problem with many people who say it's about more than a piece of paper, they don't actually know what it is about. Because there's no book. There's no guide when you get married. There's no test you have to take. I wish there was. You have to have love, but you have to have some other things too. So the Bible begins, because that's where we're going to learn about Christian marriage, ironically, with two accounts of creation. The first account's a poem. I love it. It's one of my favorite passages in Scripture. It is a love letter to creation. Six days God creating, one day God resting, and after every day God saying, it is good. Wonderful. Now, it is not until the second chapter of Genesis that we hear something is not good. For the first seven days of creation, we hear it is good, it is good, it is good. Here in the second chapter of Genesis, if you have your Bibles with you, it's not going to be on the screen. Well, parts of it, but not all of it. We hear something that's not good. So let's look. Uh, we're going to look Genesis 2, chapter 2, verses 18, 21 uh, through 25. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the human, we'll talk about that in a second, is alone. I will make him a helper that is perfect for him. So the Lord God put the human into a deep sleep and took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh around it. With the rib being taken from the human, the Lord God fashioned a woman and brought her to the human being. The human said, This one finally is bone from my bones and flesh from my flesh. She will be called woman because she because from a man she was taken. This is the reason that a man leaves his father and mother and embraces his wife, and they become one flesh. The two of them were naked, the man and his wife, and they were not embarrassed. 
like that. God creates a human being, Adam. The word Adam in ancient Hebrew, we miss a lot for not knowing ancient Hebrew. The word Adam literally means human being. So if you can imagine, God creates a human being, not necessarily male or female, just human being. And God creates all these animals and plants and wonderful things because God wanted to kind of have this wonderful creation and God wanted to create a human to have a special relationship with God. But God realized that it wasn't good for the human to be by himself. So God brought in all the animals and all the plants and said, do any of these things, would they be helpers to you? And I don't have a lot of animal experience, but I have two cats at my house, and they are not helpful at all. Maybe to keep warm occasionally, but most of the time they are... Them use, they use us to keep warm, but uh, not the other way around. <clears throat> Generally not helpful. So God said, that's not good enough. And then God did something. God took human being, Adam, and created male and female. Then human being, which was singular, became human being, multiple. Very cool. And that's what happens. And so... We get that. We get two coming from one. And then Adam, the man, says this. It may not be that romantic, but I think it's kind of romantic. This one finally is bone from my bone. Flesh from my flesh is kind of a statement of love. Then we have this little sentence about marriage. That a man leaves his father and mother and embraces his wife and they become one. So already, look at that, we have... One becoming two becoming one. That's kind of cool. And they also knew each other, which meant they had sex. So here in the second chapter of Genesis, we have love, sex, and marriage. All the things that kind of surround relationships. But it's proposed in a way and kind of given to us in a way that actually gives it purpose and meaning. This is before the go and be, multiply, and all that kind of stuff. If that never happened, if there was no sin, that stuff wouldn't have come. So the purpose of marriage would not have been to just procreate. The purpose of marriage would have been different. And there are two things we need to come from Second Genesis here. The first is that marriage is a gift from God. Our relationship is a gift from God. God saw it was not right that Human was alone, so God created humans. Man, woman. Second, and this is important, the mission, the mission of marriage, which is a gift, is so that we would have a helper or partner throughout this life. Now, the ancient Hebrew word for helper actually refers to one who is stronger, coming to the aid of one who is weaker. And remember, the woman is the helper here. So, men, yeah, I'm, I'm, most of us know that anyway. <coughs> I mean, let's, let's be honest. Yeah. 
So it's not the other way around. The woman here is described as the stronger coming to help the weaker. But that same language, more importantly, is used to describe God's relationship with us. Often in the Old Testament, God is described as a helper who's coming stronger to help humanity, weaker, do many different things throughout the Old, uh, Old Testament. So here we have a mission for marriage. And, and I believe it's not just one or the other, but both are to be helpers, to be strong where the other are weak, to encourage, to lift up. Each person in the union is supposed to bring their strengths to it so that they can be strong, so that they can build up, so that they can be together in all things. The mission's not necessarily to solve all each other's problems or have all the solutions, but to walk with each other, encouraging helping in all that we do. I think that's great. That's the, marriage, or the mission of marriage, to be a partnership where both people are blessing and being blessed. Now that's a good mission. But anyone who has been in a relationship knows that that can be very difficult. Because even when we truly try to help one another, sometimes we cause harm. Sometimes we cause hurt. Sometimes we just irritate one another through our helping, through our trying to solve problems, through our trying to uh, anticipate each other. But that happens because we are different. Not just as men and women, but all of us individually have quirks and personality traits that can tend to irritate one another. And it's not even those of us who are different, even if we were exactly the same, God help you if you're married to someone who is exactly the same as you. You probably are upset and (laughs) driving each other crazy all of the time. But thankfully, that's not all we have. Thankfully, there is another vision, another time or or thing to learn about what marriage is. So it is a partnership. That's the mission. But through the New Testament, through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have another key ingredient of how marriage is supposed to look. So in Greek, Jared and I were talking about Greek earlier, so this is our Greek for the day. You're welcome. which is the language of the New Testament. Hebrews, the language of the Old Testament. Greeks, the language of the New Testament. If you've got a lot of spare time, go get a Rosetta Stone. Wonderful things to learn. Um, no one speaks those languages really anymore. Well, I mean, some people, but not a lot of people. So it won't help you get a job. But um, we'll help you read um, the Bible. So that's good. In Greek, there are three uh, words for love. Two of them are used many times in the New Testament. All three of them are used in the New Testament. One word, eros, refers to sexual intimacy, the sexual passionate side of love. That's where we get the word erotic. Another word which is used often, mostly by Jesus, in the New Testament is agape. It's a word many of you are familiar with. This word describes a type of love which is selfless and sacrificial. One that can be expressed in all relationships, but I believe should be the defining quality 
in a Christian marriage. The Apostle Paul describes agape love as this. It is patient. It is kind. It is not jealous. It doesn't brag. It isn't arrogant. It isn't rude. It doesn't seek its own advantage. It is not irritable. I, I should tattoo these things on my arm. I was, I was just thinking that this week. It would help, I think, a lot. It doesn't keep a record of complaints. It is not happy with injustice, but is happy with the truth. Love puts up with all things, trusts all things, hopes for all things, endures all things, and love never fails. Paul's talking about agape love, the love that is self-sacrificing. Now, we, we read that a lot in weddings. He's not talking about Christian marriage but he's talking about this ideal for love, which I believe should be the focus of Christian marriage. Now, Jesus said agape love is what God seeks for and from us all. Jesus Christ showed us that love, that agape love, on the cross. He showed us that through torture and suffering. And he says this. This is agape. Laying down your life for someone else. This is the vision of Christian marriage. To be a partnership of agape love. Both partners self-sacrificing in all they do. It doesn't distract me when your children throw up. But it, it does concern me when mine are. Just throwing it out there. I apologize if I'm distracted. I think she is okay, though. Now, Jesus talks a lot more about love kind of overall and how we should love our brothers and sisters than love in marriage. He really never addresses marriage in, in a positive way. Actually, he addresses it in some negative ways um, just because people were not really living out what they should have. But the Apostle Paul, um, which my mother always loved, to hear what he had to say about marriage, writes this in Ephesians chapter 5, and, and um, men love this passage that I'm about to read. So um, get ready, fellas. Men, men just love this. Uh, Ephesians chapter 5, wives submit to their husbands in everything like the church submits to Christ. Now, they generally forget to read the, the exact next verse. We, we do that a lot in Scripture, if you, you noticed. We, we even do that when we quote John 3.16. We forget to read John 3.17, which has some pretty um, powerful things to share about how we should treat each other. But the, the following verse is, As for husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Now that passage has been used and abused over the years and, and in many terrible ways. But I think Paul actually was on to something when he was talking about Christian marriage. Paul, who was not married, by the way. Just throwing that out there. But I believe he had at least the right kind of vision. So let, let's just take that for a second. Wives submit to their husbands and everything like the church submits to Christ. The church puts Christ at its head. We believe the church is the body of Christ. The church puts Christ at its head. 
So I believe Paul is encouraging women to put their husbands first. Now, gentlemen, we get the worst part of this deal, just in case you were wondering. If you thought, well, ladies, no. Um, just You have to keep reading, unfortunately. Christ suffered, was tortured, was executed in the worst possible way for the church because of his love of us. So Paul is reminding husbands to love their wives with that same sort of sacrificial agape love. Now that vision might make some of you upset or mad. And we do live in a, in a, in a culture that values self more than, than putting others above ourselves. But I think that's a beautiful goal. I think that's a goal that we need to we need to strive for and don't i mean don't get caught up in the submission and all that kind of stuff but in putting one another first in showing sacrificial love to one another now i was two years old um when my grandfather or when my grandmother died uh, my, my my father's parents had died well before i was born but i was two years old when my grandmother died and uh her um hospitalization at the end and her funeral are some of my although vague earliest memories and and what I've been told and what I remember from those events is that my grandmother and my grandfather had an amazing relationship a wonderful marriage and when my grandmother got ill uh, she had cancer he was there by her side and he took care of her and he sacrificed many things to be with her all the time. And then she got better. And they continued to be together and love each other. And then she got worse again. Uh, and ended up dying uh, from heart failure. And he was there by her side at the end. And even when she was no long, longer able to show her love to him in any tangible way, he was there by her side showing his love to her in every way possible. Now, my father, who grew up in, a, in an abusive home, an a alcoholic home, didn't have a really good a model for Christian marriage. But the relationship of my mother's parents impacted him in such a way that he modeled his marriage and his, I think, pretty much any relationship he's had after the agape love they showed each other. And many people have said that of my parents that over the what, 50 years now? <laughs> Next year? Yes, they, they keep reminding me that we have to have a party for them. Next June, <laughs> for their 50-year anniversary. That over the 50 years of, of their life together, that they have sacrificed a lot for each other. My mother walking alongside my father in career changes and following a call to ministry. My father honoring and encouraging my mother in all things he did. And those have been impactful, not just for me, but for many people. When we get around young couples, uh, not just young in age, but you know, young, new, new love kind of couples, we often comment about how cute they are, how passionate they are. And that's good. We need to have that. But I know of uh, Jennifer and I, people have said that it is our partnership, 
how we work off each other, how we work together, that is an inspiring quality. And that is what we need to achieve, not that we figured out anything any more than anybody else has. But I think that is the best part of our marriage and the best part of the marriages that I have in my life. They really show me what the value and meaning of Christian marriage really is. This sort of mutual, self-sacrificing love and partnership that can last a lifetime. And that's not just visible for the two individuals in it, but is visible for everyone to see. And when people truly see an authentic Christian marriage, they truly begin to see, I believe, the face of God and the agape love that God showed us through Jesus Christ. So that's the mission and the vision of Christian marriage to be a partnership of agape love. It's more than just politics. It's more than just legality. It is truly meant to be a partnership. It's truly meant to be self-sacrificing love. It can only work when both partners are committed to those ideals. If one or the other is disengaged, problems arise. So over the next few weeks, we're going to explore that further. We're going to explore what that looks like over a lifetime and how people who have been married 50 or 60 years say that those are the best years of their lives. But how difficult and how hard it can be to get to that time. So I encourage you, wherever you are, to engage with this material, whether you are married, whether you hope to be married someday, whether you are happily single. I encourage you to get this resource. There's information for everyone in there that you can use. There's information and stuff to do after every chapter for couples. Encourage you to use that in your family. Encourage you to come on Wednesday night and form to learn more about it. And I believe this is so important because in a world where 50% of, in the United, I'm not even talking about the world, just the United States, where 50% of marriages fail, first marriages, there is certainly something the church needs to do more than stand up and demonstrate our divisiveness in this issue. We need to stand up and show the world what Christian marriage truly can be. And it's my hope that new life is a place where young and old couples can experience that through those of us in our relationships. So I encourage you, get invested in this. This is a wonderful resource, and I think we're going to have a lot of fun with it. Amen. I remind you again as we transition... Um, if you're not getting our Thursday, they come out Thursday at 6 p.m. Is that when they're coming now? Uh, New Life News, it's an email newsletter. If you're not getting that, fill out one of these, hand it to me, hand it to Jeff, put it somewhere so that we'll find it. Uh, if you were getting it and haven't been getting it for a while, yes, Brother Todd. Yeah, they, they, they have that in their, their show, I think, yeah. Um, if you were getting it and then you haven't been getting it it's probably because your email has put it somewhere else uh, so check your uh, spam folder or um, I know Gmail's kind of switched to promotions and all this different kind of subtopics so uh, make sure that you find it and make sure that it's in your inbox so you know what's happening 
and all of that stuff. So I remind you tomorrow night, or Monday night, excuse me, no meeting. Uh, the bowling we will schedule for the 19th of January. So that will be a event for us, a fellowship event up in Viking Lanes in South Beloit. So let's have a word of prayer as we transition to our forwarding time. Lord, once again, we thank you for this opportunity to gather together, this opportunity to praise your name. Lord, we ask that you truly just be with all of us here tonight. Give us the grace, the encouragement, the energy we need to get through a week, to get through tomorrow, to get through our valleys and our mountains. Help us realize you walk with us, you carry us, lead us in all things if we let you. Lord, I ask that you be with all of those who cannot be here tonight, those who are out in this cold weather, especially over the next two days. Be with our homeless population here in Illinois, especially in the city. Help us minister to those people we know who are without heat, who are without a home. Help us give them sanctuary in however way we can. Lord, we ask that you be with all of those who need your love. Help us be messengers and be embodiments of your agape love every day in all things that we do. Make us one with you, one with each other. Make us be truly your body that we may serve your world and forward your message of good news to all people. We pray this in your holy name. Amen.